0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute.
1: Anyone who's ever had to manage any kind of organization from a business to a family knows that patience is called for. But how do we build it up? How do we grow in our patience? How do we know when impatience actually could be a good thing? Pope St. Gregory the Great gives us wonderful insights in his 10th admonition on the third book of his Rule of Shepherds, written for pastors of the church, but applicable for business leaders and family leaders alike. Okay, everybody, we're going to continue to go deep here into the wisdom of the saints when it comes to managing people you are all managers uh, at different levels in your companies you've come here to the saint john leadership institute to learn how to deepen your skills and your positions as managers. And I want you to be able to use what the wisdom of the Bible and the wisdom of the Catholic church has to offer there in your exact skills. That's why it's important for us to read The Rule of Shepherds by Pope St. Gregory the Great. This great man definitely knew how to manage people. And to think that you have a saint who's actually gone through what you're going through is just a very consoling thought but actually a lot of saints did uh, because the church is actually the place of people and the place which is supposed to be the, the a type of, of collection of wisdom around the human person in all of the different enterprises, especially in business. I think a lot of times people just make business a separate, a separate segment of life and they say that there's almost like different rules that apply in the business than apply anywhere else. And while that's true in a way, It's actually the same set of rules that governs the human heart simply applied in a different way in the world of business. It's not a separate set of rules. It's the same rules. Wherever human beings are called to collaborate, the same laws and the same dynamics are going to be at play. It's just that there's a different set of boundaries, a different set of what's appropriate, and a different context in the family compared to in the community compared to in the workplace. And I wanna focus us in here because in the workplace, if we can work effectively to solve some of the, the those dynamics in the positive way, we can actually contribute to a better world. I mean, in the end, if you look at what is it that generates our culture today, you would say there's two huge places where culture is generated. It's generated in the family, and it's generated in business. And one of the problems we're having in current modern day America is that the role of the family is being eclipsed by the role of business. Almost like ethics is originating inside corporations instead of inside families. And while I say this is why they say this is a problem, is that businesses traditionally are very poor sources of ethics. Okay. (laughs) Because they're driven towards the production of things and the efficient production of things. If I can make a valuable piece more efficiently, I'll be able to up my profit margin. And most of the time this comes at the expense of things that have more value, even though they have a less, less efficient quotient of production. And that's just the way businesses are run. It's run by the bottom line. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's not the place where you want to turn to find an ethics that respects all of the human person. I mean, an ethics that respects the soul and virtues and humanity is not going to be found in the workplace. The workplace has a specific end. And the end of the workplace is the product that it's there to produce and of course, the, the people who are changed or altered as they produce that product in a secondary way. But when ethics becomes generated by the workplace itself, you, you've got to look at that society and say, why is that? Why do we tolerate that? And it's usually because in the end, we've given up that the family is actually the place that is the ultimate high point of society. When you say that the home and the family is the reason why we work, And that the family is the goal of everything that we do, the ultimate goal of our human life, you know, outside of religion, well, well then you're left with a vacuum and that vacuum is filled by business. But it's interesting because both of those places, both family and the business are places where the Catholic church exerts an amazing expertise and the wisdom of the saints in managing people. It's as deep as libraries go. So I just want to pick up one of these books from the library, St. Gregory the Great, and look at what he wrote. It's in his Rule of Shepherds, and he's talking about how the, the prelate or how the preacher should go about managing or working with folks in different circumstances. In, in Book 3, Admonition 10, he focuses us in on dealing with the impatient and the patient. And I thought this is especially applicable because if, if there's one thing that as a priest I hear on a, a constant basis that people suffer from and struggle with, it's patience. It's like when, when you hear confessions, this is one of the top 10 that you hear. I was impatient with my spouse. I was impatient with my kids. And I like to laugh. <laughs> I don't like to laugh at being impatient. Of course, it's a sin. But, it, you know, there's... Children have a way of pushing our buttons, especially. <laughs> it's almost like they're designed to see just how patient you can be before you finally break. and that, and then they kind of like learn that those are the rules and that they shouldn't push any further. But some children never really learned that. They kind of grew up continuing to push buttons and push boundaries, and then they end up working for you. <laughs> and you're a thirty two year old manager. Who is just completely too forward, too driven, too impatient about everything, storming around and breaking things all the time? Remember that that same person is probably a child who simply wasn 't educated well when they were growing up, and we, who would then find ourselves managing them, find ourselves in a predicament. Do I demonstrate anger at this point? do I how far do I let them go before? In fact, I express my vexation about them or, or it, will that actually trigger them to be even worse? How do I manage someone who's difficult? How do I ex- exhibit true patience? And am I called to? Uh, or on the contrary, should I fly off the handle and, and, and show them by my anger that in fact, they've crossed the boundary? And if I do that, can I do that in a way that, that builds them up Or do I do it in a way that breaks them down? All these kind of questions are are something we experience on a daily basis. The higher up the corporate ladder that you go, the more people that you have that can drive you crazy. (laughs) And the more people are looking just to see if they can make you sweat. If they can see if you break or not. If you lose your cool, for example, when you're teaching a room full of high school students, you've already lost the battle. But they will do everything to make you lose your cool. How do I keep my cool when there is an objective problem or when there's an objective source to vexation? What does it mean to really be patient? Well, I think Pope Secretary, think Gregory the Great does a great job here of helping us understand both why it's wrong to be impatient and great practical tips at how we can keep our patients in the workplace
0: all the better. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org and join for free today.
1: So the topic here that Pope St. Gregor the Great is ta- tackling in Book 3 of his Rule of Shepherds is the topic of how do you admonish the patient and the impatient? How do you work with people by being patient yourself? And how do you help other people to be more patient? Well, the word patience, actually, remember, comes from the Latin word, passio, which means suffering. So a patience is actually your ability to endure an evil. And it's not necessarily a moral evil. It could be a source of suffering in any of its many shapes and manifestations. But how long can I endure something that is a pain? That is the measure of my patience. So you have a situation right away, which becomes obvious. And that is that if I'm the one who needs to exhibit patience, I have to exhibit patience because someone else is causing a problem, right? And causing a problem to me, that directly affects me. Well, so you can see right away that, goodness, if you're in the workplace environment and someone's causing a problem that's vexing another, it belongs to the manager, of course, as soon as it comes to their attention, to remedy that issue, to, to step in because you have to defend the environment from toxicity. And so that's an easy enough thing. But what when, what, what when it's someone who's working for you and you're the manager and they're bothering you directly? it's more delicate, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you want to build them up so that they give the very best of themselves. And on the other hand, if you let it go too long, it's going to drive you crazy. So here, Pope St. Gregory the Great gives us some wonderful admonition. He says, number one, remember that if you just lack patience altogether, you're probably also going to lack charity and all virtue. So the very first thing to look at in ourselves is, am I someone who's just flying off the handle haphazardly? Do I lose my temper and my cool on a regular basis? We could say, oh, I do and I need to. And usually we'll justify that, right? We'll say, I need to because my people need to be inspired or because otherwise there's no other way to motivate these people. I need to kick things around every once in a while. I remember one time I was working as a garbage man, believe it or not. I had the, the pleasure of being a garbage man in small town Ohio. And we, the, the manager who was running the, the shift demonstrated anger at the, the various people around me because my truck had stopped, of course, without my permission. <laughs> I was just riding on the back of it, but they had stopped and gotten a milkshake while on the clock and they were spied by the manager became so furious the anger that he kicked the wheel of the truck you know the the, the tire of the truck and he remember slamming the door uh um so to, as he yelled at the driver to get back to work and you could say oh my goodness i still remember the anger of that moment and it worked its desired effect the men talked about it i mean we would never tr- stop there again did you see how angry he was oh my goodness right and so we can say, ah, oh, that was very effective. And that's exactly what we need to demonstrate. Little tolerance for error, little tolerance for people who do things wrong. And the angrier that I become, well, in a sense, you know, the more motivated my people become. The only problem is it actually doesn't work. As you know, there might be a time and a place for it. And maybe that time there in in small town Ohio, getting the, the, slam, the door slammed on us was effective for a certain degree. If that was a consistent manner of behavior, two things would happen. On the one hand, the people would find other ways to wreak havoc against the manager because they wouldn't respect the manager or the company and they'd find other ways to actually profit at the company's expense. Just they'd be more sly about it. And we all know that fear is a terrible motivating force when it comes to creative energy. It might be terrific at motivating folks to, to you know, manipulate them from the outside, but it doesn't inspire anything on the inside. And so if I lose my patience, I'll be you know, working with fear as my number one technique, and it'll have as the result demotivized, unmotivated people who on the, in the end seek my harm or seek their own advantage because they have no respect or desire to see the company advance. And the second thing that'll happen is that they'll Delimitate Me we will institute a culture from the top down of impatience and intolerance that quickly breeds toxicity, as you know, and it corrodes the environment. Your turnover is going to go up. Your employee complaints are going to go up and your general workplace environment is going to go down. So we don't want that. Pope St. Gregory the Great then goes on to say, "You know what? What else happens? Impatience is a sign of arrogance. Now this is something a link you might not think about, but he actually says, "No, because when you're impatient, you, you endeavor to demonstrate what you know, what you can do, and not let that be go unnoticed by anybody. So, actually, in your desire to manifest the truth or manifest what you know, you actually demonstrate a type of arrogance over the environment. Everyone has to see here and now that I'm right. Everyone has to see here and now what I can do. And I will not suffer the slightest slight or the slightest or the smallest flaw in anyone around me. Or they ha- everything has to be perfect and you have to see it. There's an arrogance that's issues forth that happens from us. And the second thing that happens is that we no longer teach our people. You can imagine, I mean, how powerful the workplace environment would be if everyone in the workplace taught one another correctly. That is, showed and helped the person to grow in their positions, Well, to do that, I have to be patient. I have to put up with the fact that the person I'm trying to teach actually doesn't know. And instead of just jumping on that and saying, well, I know, and you don't know, and I need to show you, we patiently work to develop the skills of those around us. And just like, as you know very well, that's gonna generate a team spirit that's going to conquer any mountains that come our way. It's just so important to see this in ourselves. When was the last time you did a 360 with your people? to ask them whether or not you demonstrate adequate patience and, and where, you, where you lack patience. Because wherever you lack patience, you're gonna be manifesting arrogance. You're going to be crushing down opportunities to teach. You're gonna be instilling fear and you're going to be helping other people to do the exact same thing. The culture stops from, starts from top down. As mom or dad are in the house, so will the kids be. And it's the same at the workplace. Let's be patient. Because when we are patient, then Gregory the Great says instruction grows and the ability to teach is expanded and our people can live in greater and deeper health.
0: Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network where Father Nathan hosts a 30 minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, Go to www.saintjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So we see how
1: bad impatience can be in the workplace, but are we yet convinced of the value of actually being patient? And how do we do that? Well, it's amazing because what Gregory the Great does, he looks at the Bible And he says, and this is a statement that I think is just really an amazing one. He says, it is better to be patient than to capture cities. He quotes Proverbs here, 1632. Let me just quote Gregory the Great. He says, let the impatient hear what is written. Better is the patient than the mighty. And he that rules his spirit than he that takes cities. Proverbs 1632. For victory over cities is a less thing because that which is subdued is on the outside but a far greater thing is that which is conquered by patience since the mind itself is by itself overcome and subjects itself to itself when patience compels it to bridle itself within what an amazing image that is i mean he's actually quoting scripture To tell us that it is a greater thing to master your own mind than it is to win cities. This is such a contrary notion to what most of us have in mind when it comes to leadership. We want to extol the powerful, the the person who can do so many great things. And we don't necessarily look at the person who's self-contained as being better, but therein we make an error. And why? Because it's one thing to be able to capture cities, but if you can't capture your own self, all of the victories that you can win on the outside will slip through your fingers. Is what we're really after in our world of work simple, simple productivity? I mean, are we really working just like people in the world just for money and, and for an edge If so, then we'll say it doesn't matter who you are on the inside. What matters is how mighty you are on the outside, how many cities you can conquer. Yeah, but that's not why we're really working. I mean, that's an aspect of work. That's a point of work. I get that. But we who are followers of Christ need to work with Christ and under his grace and also for his glory. And that means that we're going to work differently. We're going to have the same end, but the way that we do it is going to have to be different, right? And what's the way that we're supposed to work for Christ? We're supposed to work for Christ by using the workplace environment and using the productive activity we're involved in in order to shape and garner greater dignity and strength of character. We, in other words, look at our leadership roles as a blessing, From Christ, an opportunity he's given us to deepen our skills, to sharpen our skills, and to become even better people on the inside. And that means that, yes, I need to produce things on the outside and I want to conquer many cities and demonstrate great business prowess. But in the end, the real reason I'm at that company is because it's an occasion that Christ has given me to become holier, closer to him. And so all of the obstacles that come my way are actually opportunities in which I can grow in my virtues. And the first virtue, of course, is that of patience. And so what is this virtue? Well, he he puts it this way. He says, the way that we're built is that our reason is supposed to possess our soul and our soul is supposed to possess our body. So in other words, I am built in a way linked together. That my emotionality, my expressions, my, the way that I spend my time, all the things that are linked to the body are actually driven by a deeper principle than themselves. If, if I'm just driven by my emotions, well then when someone ticks me off, I yell at them. And when I get, when I feel, when there's an angry thing in front of me, I get angry. When there's a, a desirable thing in front of me, I desire. And if I'm not careful, if I just live like an animal, then the outer world ends up controlling me. If something is irritating, if something is funny, if something is desirable, I end up acting according to what is put in front of me. Kind of like pigs on the farm when you throw food in front of them and they all eat whether they're hungry or not, right? And that's exactly how we react. That's not human. A human being is supposed to be one that says, you know what? Yes, there are stimuli in front of me, But my soul, my choices of who I really am, that's going to, my character is going to determine what I'm going to do. So just because I'm being stimulated in my body in one way or the other doesn't dictate what I do. Actually, I'm free. And the source of that whole thing, the thing that holds me all together is that the soul itself is driven by the principle of reason. What is right, what is good, What is the best way to act in the given situation? It seems so simple, but at the same time, it's kind of foreign in today's thinking and much to our chagrin, right? But we are not like those in the world. We have been taught by Christ and we know this is true. I am a free individual and how I choose to react in a situation comes from me and I need to be able to demonstrate that self-control. Gregory the Great, you can tell, has gone through a lot in his day because he goes on to describe that, yes, you might demonstrate the self-control of patience at the beginning, but be very careful because what can happen is a state of victimization that can be expressed after the provocation is over. So the person you're managing provokes you. And you maintain your perfect calm. You sit there and smile. You don't see anything. You just deal with it patiently. And he goes his way or she goes his way. And then the real pain sets in. He says this. For it usually comes to pass with a patient that at the time indeed when they suffer hardships or hear insults, they are smitten with no vexation and so exhibit patience as to fail not to keep also innocence of heart. But... When after a while they recall to memory the very same things that they have endured, they inflame themselves with a fire of vexation. They seek reasons for vengeance, and, in retracting, turn into malice the meekness which they had in bearing. <laughs> it's a very eloquent way of saying that in the end we start to realize what we have endured. And we turn to losing our patience by attacking them one way or the another. How many times this has happened? The employee who leaves slamming the door and you were patient as they chewed you out. But then as soon as they're gone, you turn and send emails and tell everybody how much you've been grieved. And so by so doing, you actually have lost the merit that you bear, that you, that you won. I mean, on the one hand, like you, you had this wonderful opportunity where you listened You were slow to condemn. You allowed things to happen because it was the quickest and best way to move the situation along to a happy conclusion. Sometimes patience is the hallmark of a true warrior. They think of the way that Napoleon was patient in battle with the timing, allowing certain victories to be won by his enemies as he waited for the perfect opportunity to finally seize the day. Or a prize fighter who wears out his opponent, right? In the ring, taking hit after hit after hit until finally his opponent being tired, he makes his move to victory. Patience is simply part of leadership. You need it because you are the one who is in charge of the change. You are the one who's the leader in this situation. And so you're going to provoke people to cause you suffering, you need to be able to keep your cool. Simple as that. But don't forget that that cool that you keep, you keep because it's the rationally right thing to do. And that's your reward. If we turn afterwards and start to badmouth everybody and talk about how bad we've been hurt by everybody else, I mean, we kind of are not imitating our Lord and Savior who suffered grievously upon the cross, forgave the ones who hurt him, and gave glory to the Father by his long suffering. Well, long suffering is a part and parcel of what it means to rule in a world of sinners. And when we can demonstrate that, we give witness to the world to a beautiful dignity that we miss today the dignity of a Christian soul, the dignity of reason, possessing a soul, driving a body, and making decisions that are for the best. Our world needs that witness, our world needs patience. Patience and its leaders.
0: Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at org. That's info at org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.